on at the church right now. And by the way, in some ways, I'm very excited about this. So I, I don't want this to sound like a, like a, a doom and gloom sermon at all. That's not where I'm going at all today. Uh, but this year, just, just to tell you some of the things I'm talking about, this year, our church's finance are the worst that I've ever seen. I think we've had worse years in the more distant past. Uh, but we are way behind on budget. And I, by the way, don't say that at all to, um, you know, to, to, to take away from those of you who are giving generously and sacrificially. It's just to tell you, you know, this is, this is where we're at. And for a pastor and for uh, the pastoral, uh, the elder team, you know, this is a, a serious and an unexpected trial that we've been walking through trying to figure out what to do. So that's just, just one thing. The, the next thing I want to mention is that in the last three months, we've had two long-term families uh, from this church leave our church on very bad terms. This was painful both times, confusing and concerning, because we certainly care about those families. And it, it was very much one of those, like, what just happened experiences. So in the last three months, Two long-term families leaving on, on again, very bad uh, terms. In addition to that, you know, we had uh, VBS this past week, uh, Wednesday through Friday, and it was amazing. And we did have plenty of servants, plenty of you serving to help VBS go well. And we were, you know, all our sound equipment, I mean, it just all worked great. We, we were prepared. We were able to share the message of, of identity in God and especially identity in Christ through salvation in him. We were able to do those things. And so it was great. But for many of us adults, those who were leading VBS, making it happen, me included, my family included, last week was a horrible week. And I, I don't mean it was horrible because of VBS being a horrible thing. I really enjoyed uh, VBS and the planning. Like, again, we, we, we distributed the load to uh, a good amount of people. And so it wasn't VBS that was horrible. It was everything outside of VBS for many of us. Again, this is this was true in my family for sure, uh, but it was wild talking to the other people at the different evenings of VBS to hear um, all that was going on in their lives outside of VBS, and especially that Friday night where it was going to be an explicit, clear, powerful presentation of the gospel. But I'll just tell you some of the things that were going on. We, there, were, there were new financial troubles that had come up. There were house issues. There were physical problems. Uh, I heard from many people that their children have been acting up more than usual and sleeping less than usual, which is a bad combination for everyone. And then again, just several people, spouses that usually have very peaceful marriages have been uh, not so peaceful, not so harmonious and, and in fact very hard and so I, I look at those things especially with this VBS when it was just like our core and some of the other leaders as well were also affected by this and if by the way if you were helping and serving and you weren't affected by this great I'm happy for you but it was a hard week and it was a week that I, I get out of my car on Friday and I'm like I'm supposed to get up there and share the gospel with those kids like my mind is a million miles away right now. And I'm the one who, you've got, you got these 30-something little kids who will either spend eternity with God, worshiping, enjoying Him in heaven, or in hell being punished under their sins. And my mind is a million miles away. And the same was true for so many of our other leaders and so, yes, I do believe our church is under attack. And you want to know why I, I said I'm not like mad about this, I'm not sad about this? It's a really good sign. Satan does not care to attack a church that is doing nothing. Satan doesn't care about attacking a holy huddle. He doesn't care how good your theology is if you don't put it into practice in your everyday life. 
And so I, I, I mentioned these things that it is when you are making progress that Satan is most provoked to attack you. Satan, I believe, is threatened by the good things God is doing in this church. And I, I just think about these. I don't know if my sign's up there. Nope. Uh, Master's mission. Like, you know, we just think about a shift that sort of took place December through February. We focus on the master's mission. We say, okay, yes, we need to study the Bible. Yes, we need to love and care for and serve one another. But it's got to be more. We got to break out of these walls and reach the lost around us. We need to intentionally focus on caring for and equipping and, and uh you know, helping our, our missionaries abroad. We need to be equipped to share the gospel. And we've had many times of thinking and planning, how can we share the gospel? And so we've already seen some of that happen. That's what our cookouts are. Trust me, we love hanging out, but our cookouts exist because we want to reach your friends, your family, your coworkers. And, and so that's why we do the cookouts is because we want to share the gospel. We want to be on the master's mission of both making disciples and training up uh, disciples in, in, in a healthy church. Uh, obviously, VBS is, is a great example of that, but those are our corporate examples. I mean, again, I'm not saying it's never happened before, but since kind of that December region where we started focusing on the master's mission, I've had dozens of conversations with you guys about how God has pushed you out of your shell to start sharing the gospel with people and start attempting to build those bridges with your neighbors. And I mean, it's things like that, that, that I look at our church and I say, we are the healthiest that I've ever seen. We are doing the best. There is greater life and joy and purpose in our church than I have ever seen. And yet at the same time, it has been one of the hardest seasons at this church. Hmm. So I am not sad, I am not uh, mad that, that Satan is attacking us, but we do need to know how to handle it, right? I mean, you say, what are we supposed to do? It's spiritual warfare. Do we have like a seance or something? No, that's the other side, guys. Come on. You know, like, what, what do we do, though? Like, how, how do we handle uh, satanic attacks? What, you know, do we, do we give it all our attention and start focusing on this spiritual warfare? You know, what do we do? And so that is why I wanted to, to pause Exodus this week and focus on this. What do we do when Satan attacks? And so I want to read for you, uh, and you can read along with me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And by the way, there are so many good texts in the Bible. I just had to land on this one. In fact, I was talking to Alan Bradbury about something totally separate on the phone, and uh, I, I happened to mention to him, yeah, I'm about to start my sermon like completely different and I, I was telling him my ideas, and he's like, oh, that kind of sounds like 1 Peter 5, 8. And, and so I was like, okay, I'll go with it. Like, I don't have time. So, <laughs> so I just want to tell you, like, if you, if you want to give more attention to this, there is a lot in the Bible to speak into this uh, when, when Satan attacks. So 1 Peter 8 through 11. And I want you to remember, this is God speaking through the Apostle Peter. Peter is being carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these words. So I want you to understand God is, this is how God is telling you to handle it when Satan attacks. This isn't Peter's opinion. This isn't Peter's tactic. This is God's game plan for you and for me. All right, 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into, called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, number one, for what you've been doing in our hearts and in the life of this church, Lord. We thank you even for what you've been doing in this community through your people here, Lord. 
But we also thank you for helping us to recognize that Satan doesn't like when we are making progress. That Satan doesn't like when we begin to spread. Satan doesn't like it when we are leveraging our lives to bring you glory through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for making us aware of that. And now, Lord, I pray that you would equip us, all of us, to respond rightly. Lord, I pray that you would do this so that your supreme power, your supreme dominion over sin and Satan and death would be shown even when Satan attacks. Lord, I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our conquering King. Amen. So, what should we as a church, what should you as individual members of the body of Christ do when Satan attacks? I'll tell you the most common knee-jerk response, and I think exactly what Satan is trying to do, the most common knee-jerk response when Satan attacks is to stop what you're doing. Satan wants all these trials and troubles and situations and relational struggles and financial. He wants all of that to at least distract you, if not totally dishearten you from doing what you have been called to do. And so the first thing that we'll see uh, in, in 1 Peter is this. What we need to do is stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. When Satan attacks we do not turn tail and run. I want to show you this uh, again from 1 Peter um, 5, verses 8 and 9. In, in these uh, two verses, uh, Peter gives three commands, and two of those commands are telling us to stay in the fight. So I want to show you that first. You can see on the screen I've got be sober-minded Underlined. Hope you see that in your, your Bibles. Be sober-minded, sober in spirit, some translations <clears throat> say. You say, well, what does that have to do with staying in the fight? I mean, sober-minded, doesn't that mean not to be drunk? That, that's not what sober-minded, I mean, that you can use it in that context. But generally, in the Bible, when it uses this word, it's just one word in the Greek, sober-minded, it is not talking about uh, abstinence from alcohol or drunkenness. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, the, the Greek word is nepho, and it actually means something more like think clearly, be calm and collected, and don't let your emotions take control of you. Uh, again, I, I did the word study on this. Uh, I've got plenty of examples. I, I can show you some of those in a moment. But to be sober-minded, it isn't just saying, hey, don't be drunk. It is saying, hey, think clearly. Don't let your emotions overrun you and overrule what God has told you to be doing. And this is in the context of he prowls around like a roaring lion. It's saying you need to think clearly. You need to let, not let your emotions win the day because Satan loves to manipulate our emotions so that we won't do what we are called to do. I mean, if you think about it, so much of our lives are directed and dictated by our emotions. So much. I mean, pro probably, you know, the, the, the job you chose, uh, you know, whether or not you, you go out to eat tonight or whatever, like you, you often dictate those things off of how do I feel about that? And so what Satan wants to do is make you afraid of doing what God has called you to do, to intimidate you. Sometimes it's very clear that it's Satan. And I mean, in that, in that moment, I mean, if any of us, especially in the Western world where we're not used to spiritual warfare, we say, okay, that's terrifying. I'm done. Like, if Satan's going to mess with me, like, I, I can't handle that. But I would often say that 
Satan doesn't make himself known, like that this is Satan doing it without looking at the evidence. Oftentimes it just happens by, by bringing fears about other things, totally unrelated to, you know, to whatever we're trying to do. Maybe anxieties that debilitates you. Maybe God makes you angry so that you're distracted. Satan wants to manipulate your emotions because most of what you do or don't do flows from your emotions. But Peter is saying, don't let it be that way. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be calm and collected. You need to be in control of your emotions, not your emotions in control of you. It doesn't mean don't feel fear. It just means don't let that fear drive you this is what we have going on here and it's very interesting by the way uh peter earlier in this very same epistle uh you use this same word in in the context of keep moving forward he says in first uh, peter 1 13 therefore preparing your minds for action active work in the kingdom of god preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Make sure you are thinking rightly about God, about Jesus, and how those things bear on your situation, not just how your situation, your circumstances bear on you in this moment. It's, it's, it's having a proper perspective. It's being circumspect. It's seeing things from God's point of view. That's what being sober-minded is. Think rightly about this situation. And what we'll get uh, a little further in that of what it means to think rightly, what we should be thinking, what we should uh, be doing even when our fears and anxieties and angers arise. But I would just want to show you again, yeah, right there uh, on your screen, 1 Timothy 4, 5, the same exact Greek word, as for you, always be sober-minded. Then look what he says. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That is what a sober mind gets you. That's what happens when you don't let your emotions control you, but you let the truth about God and about Christ and about what you're called to do dictate your life. Be sober-minded. Endure that suffering. It might come from Satan. It might, might appear to be all, all, all sorts of other things, but you can endure it. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is what it means to be sober-minded. It means to stay in the fight even when the circumstances aren't good. Even when Satan is trying to fight against you, you think rightly. You recognize your adversary, but you also recognize your advocate. Again, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But the second command God gives through Peter, I think I've got it back up there. You see it at the bottom of the screen there or the beginning of verse 9 in your notes. Here, here's the second command that shows us that we stay in the fight. He says, resist him. Resist him. It doesn't say run from him. Right? It's, it's sexual immorality you're supposed to flee from, by the way, 1 Corinthians. You say, I'm somewhere that I'm supposed to run. Yeah, from sexual immorality. But when it is Satan trying to, to push against you, you resist him. To resist means to fight against pressure, to stand firm. And that means when Satan comes roaring, we don't go running. We push even harder. That's what it means to resist. You think about if someone comes and pushes you, um, what, what's going to happen? Like, well, one of two things are going to happen if someone pushes you. If you lean forward into it, you're going to stand your ground. If you just stand back or, or even lean back from it, you're going to fall back. That's, that's what happens. We, we resist Satan when he pushes us. We, we, we lean forward into it. We don't run away from it. This is what it is to resist. And I don't mean any of that to sound like bravado or being macho, yeah, we're going to resist the devil. The devil is way stronger than me. <laughs> the devil is way stronger than you. He's way smarter. He's, he's crafty. Yeah, like, I, 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 don't, I don't mean it that way. But 
this is the will of God for you. Remember, this is God speaking through Peter. Be sober-minded. Don't let Satan scare you away from this. Don't let him distract you away from what you're called to do and resist him. Lean forward into it. That is what obedience looks like for the Christian if you are to be obedient to the Great Commission. Or, or by the way, in any other area. You, you, you resolve that this sin that has been killing you for years, that I, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put that sin to death guess what? Satan is going to attack you. You resolve that you're truly going to love one another, that you're going to build up relationships where you're edifying one another. Guess what? Satan is going to attack you. I mean, this is all sorts of areas of Christian obedience, so I don't want to make it just uh, about sharing the gospel, but I, I really, I mean, Satan is just most threatened by the gospel being shared because it reveals the glory of God. It has the power to save sinners, to, to change their hardened hearts. So Satan does not like this, and we are to resist him. The same is said, by the way, in James 4, 7, resist the devil. So that is what God wants for us. That is how we respond. We do not tuck tail and run. We don't give up. We don't just turn into a big theology lesson that we meet each week and then go home to our, the safety of our homes. No, we resist the devil. We keep doing what we're doing. We stay in the fight. And by the way, I, I use that word, stay in the fight, making the assumption that, you, that you're in it. If, if you're not in it yet, I, ho I hope you'll get in it because that too is the will of God for you, that you go there for and make disciples. That is what we are all called to do, but those who are already doing it and facing opposition stay in the fight. Okay, so we're, we're understood there. We're, God's will for us is that we stay in the fight. We're saying, okay, I'm committed to that, but how do I handle it? You know, what does it look like to resist him? How can I resist the devil and him flee from me, like it says in uh, James 4, 7? Well, here's the first thing that I think we need to do, and it is this. Number two, and again, we'll see this in, um, in Peter's epistle. Number two, expect the fight to be hard. Expect the fight to be hard. It's interesting. Um, I remember uh, in, in high school, there was a little bit of uh, behind the soccer field boxing <laughs> that me and my friends would do, you know, um, and and. I, I had boxed a decent amount um, grow, growing up, just not never like competitively, but just doing it. So I knew what it felt like to take some punches to the face. I knew what it felt like to give some punches. Anyway, we had a bunch of people who had just never been punched before. And so they, they say, yeah, I, I want to do this. It'll be cool. Like, you know, I've seen the movie Fight Club. Like, this will be awesome. And we're going to fight. and it'll, it'll be so, so awesome. I remember a handful of those people would take like two hits and they'd say, I'm done. They did not know what it looked like, or what it felt like, rather, to take a punch. It, it seemed cool watching it on TV or in the movies to be in a fight, but when the moment actually came and the pain was inflicted, a fist landed on their cheek, they said, oh, that really does hurt. That really does make you see stars. Now I know what Tweety Bird was seeing, you know, the stars floating above his head. Like, all of a sudden, it was reality for them, and they quit because they weren't expecting it. This is what Peter says to us. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So number one, expect that Satan, be watchful, expect that Satan is going to attack you. If you are pursuing the will of God, if you desire to live a godly life, if you desire to make disciples, Satan is going to attack you. Satan and his, his demons. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion. Well, is he a, a friendly lion? Is he going to come and nuzzle me? No, he's seeking someone to devour. Expect that Satan's going to attack you and that he is not going to be kind and cuddly about it. Then it goes on to say, verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood 
throughout the world. (laughs) Satanic oppression isn't a gentle hand pushing you away. It is painful. It is heartbreaking. That's what Satan wants to do, is to inflict so much pain and suffering upon you that you get distracted, that you run for safety, run for comfort, run to pleasure instead of doing what God wants you to do. So I want you to know, and this is what, what, what Peter's helping us do, that's literally the whole purpose of this being in, in 1 Peter 5, is so that you will expect the fight and you will expect it to be hard and to hurt. Again, if you aren't expecting it and the blows come, it will be so much more difficult to endure. But if you know it's coming, you say, okay, I expected this. I can walk through this. I mean, again, you can think about this in so many other examples. Some of us, I'm not like huge into spicy food, but like occasionally I'll eat a jalapeno, you know. It hurts, (laughs) but I I knew it was going to. That's why I did it, you know. Um, (laughs) To inflict pain upon myself. Um, But if someone slips a jalapeno into your food and you eat it, you're very likely to spit that thing out. Why? Because you weren't ready for the pain. You weren't braced for it. I think about this in marriage. If you expect your marriage to always be like a Disney movie, you will be much more likely to tap out when the going gets tough. But if you know that there are going to be trials, there are going to be disagreements, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be health and financial and all these other issues in our marriage, then then when they come, you say, okay, this is what God told us is going to happen and, and, and we need to walk through it, work through it faithfully. Expect the fight to come Satan is going to fight against you if you're doing his will. By the way, again, this is a, one of the reasons I'm like happy about this. It means that we're actually doing something, that, that progress is being made, that we have great potential to live and leverage our lives for the glory of God because Satan is bothering to attack us. If Satan isn't attacking you, you might say, well, maybe I'm not a very formidable foe and he's not worried about me. But... When you, when you are in it, and he does come, it will be hard. There will be heartbreak, there will be tears, there will be anger, there will be frustration. But you have to know that you resist him in that time. You don't back down. You're ready for it. The next thing we see is this from Peter. This is how we fight. This is how we resist. This is what resistance looks like fight with faith and joy this is how we resist the devil and he flees from us we fight with faith and joy i'll show you uh just again how how clear this is uh first peter 5 9 resist him firm in your faith He doesn't say resist him firm in your own strength. Resist him with your smart mind, with all the wisdom you have. No, he says resist him firm in your faith. If we want to be the type of Christians who leverage our lives for the glory of God and the gospel and who don't back down when Satan fights against us, we're going to have to have a strong faith in God, in Christ Jesus, in who he is for us. I want to mention just a few things uh, that that may be helpful for you. You think, well, well, Satan's really strong. Like Satan is is a a power, the the Bible uh, calls him, a principality, a power. But he who is in you is what? Greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Paul says in Romans uh, 8, 38 and 39 that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that includes satanic oppression. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing Satan can do to you can ultimately threaten what matters in your life. 
All Satan can do is get you to back down and rob you of the joy it would otherwise be. I, I think of, of just so many uh, uh, promises, because that's what faith is, right? You're, you're believing in, in promises. You're believing in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. And you're believing that, that, that what he has promised is true, that by believing in him, you're made new. You're a new creation. You're an ambassador of Christ Jesus. You're believing things like uh, Matthew uh, 28, I think it's 20, that says, I will never leave you even to the end of the age. He said that right after giving the Great Commission. Why? Why did he give that promise? It's the only promise in the Great Commission. It's because Jesus being with us is what we need. On our own, yes, we will be crushed by Satan. But with Jesus, we will be victorious. You have overcome the evil one. Again, First John this is good news. We believe these things. We believe that God will be able to uphold us, that he will be our mighty fortress. By the way, Martin Luther, um, Protestant Reformation, like he was going up against the Catholic Church, trying to reform the Catholic Church, which in many ways was more powerful than the government uh, there in, in Germany. And so Martin Luther was a dude who really believed in Satan. He, he said, uh, I, I fight Satan uh, with, with ink. And so there's, there's like an old uh, tale that he, he took the little ink goblet, you know, that you dip your, and he threw it at Satan. And if you go like tour uh, a place there in Germany where he, he wrote these things, they say, oh, here it is on the wall, the ink thing. It's just a lie. He, he, he was fighting Satan with what? He was translating the Bible uh, into German for, for the, the common folk to be able to read. He said, that's how you fight Satan. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. We, we need God's word in our minds. We need to have our hearts filled with the word of Christ so that we can have faith when times get hard. You need to know what God has promised to be in you and to be for you so that when it comes, you say, Yes, this is tough. Yes, this is intimidating. But the God who's in me is so much greater. And he will be victorious through this. It's incredible. And by the way, you actually see that um, at the end. I'm trying to think of what <laughs> slide I have. If you look in 1 Peter 5, 11, this is, this is kind of what he's talking about. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, this is a promise, by the way, something you trust in. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. That right there, just those two verses are meant to inspire your faith so that you can resist Satan firm in your faith. This just reminded me of something else that, that I need to talk about. Um, again, this sermon was <laughs> midday yesterday. So one of the main things Satan will do to, to derail you, to attack you, is make you feel inadequate to be used by God. Who are you to share the gospel? You're still messed up. You're still a sinner. Remember that thing you said? Remember that thing you looked at? Remember that thing you did? You don't get to share the gospel. And what, 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 what truth, what faith reminds us of is our righteousness is not our own. It's not based on you, friends. It's not your works that make you adequate to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus. It is the righteousness of Jesus that makes you adequate and able he qualifies you, not only for the inheritance, but also to be sons of God and also to be ambassadors of God. This is what God has done. And you think about it, by the way, I have these. Um, may be helpful. It may be too much. That's why I'm hesitating. This is, this is, this is what we got to have. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength and in the strength of his might, not your own might, not your own righteousness, not your own goodness, not your own ability, 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of, schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He's saying, if you put on the whole armor of God, you will stand firm, but you got to put it on, having done all to stand firm. Then he goes on to list what that armor is. And again, I can't go through, through all of this, but I, I want to give you a, a basic idea there, here. Verse 14 and following. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You think truth is a good protection against Satan? The deceiver, the liar, the one who wants to tell you lies about God, about you, about this world. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, that is the righteousness of Christ, not your righteousness. It's something you put on, not something that, that comes out of you. It's, it's Christ's righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Always be ready to share the gospel. Again, we resist, we push back. When Satan is trying to stop you from doing what he's called you to do, be all the more ready to do what God has called you to do. And that is part of resisting the devil. He says in, in verse 16, <clears throat> in all cir circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Resist him, firm in your faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That's his attacks on you. That's his lies. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind, friends. Protect what goes into it. Protect what, what the way media and, and different friends or coworkers, protect the way it's shaping your mind. That's why you put on the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've already been talking about this. Like, if you don't have the promises to cut down Satan's lies and Satan's attacks and even your own flesh's weakness, you will fail. I would be terrified to be in a battle and to only have a shield and a helmet on and no sword because you can't, you can't actually defeat them. That's what God's Word is for us. It is an active weapon to cut down the attacks of Satan and what he's trying to stop us from doing. Then he says, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Friends, I believe in prayer. I have seen God answer so many prayers in impossible circumstances. I mean, for me, impossible circumstances. There have been times that I have not known what to do or what to say in a situation I was in with people and, and even specifically sharing the gospel that, that I'm just like, there's nowhere that this conversation can go that will be good. And, and I'm, I'm praying to God and I've already been praying, you know, but because we're, we're always praying at all times in the spirit. And God turns that conversation. And all of a sudden, I mean, I've seen light bulbs click in people's eyes, you know, of like, what I'm saying is making sense. I just, I just want to be clear, like prayer matters. Prayer matters to protect you and to keep you doing what you're supposed to do and to make what you do effective. Because Satan wants to ruin you, right? He wants to distract you. He wants to push you into sin, he wants to cause you to be disobedient to God's commands. Satan wants to disqualify you in many ways, you know, or at least make you feel disqualified. And Satan wants to stop you from glorifying God. Faith, faith, faith. So let me just, I just want to make this as clear and practical as possible. You say in that moment, okay, this isn't going well. This isn't uncom or th this is uncomfortable. This isn't safe. Right then, you bring up the promises of God in your life. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. 
There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, you bring up whatever promise it takes to cut down that lie, that attack of Satan, and you resist him, resist Satan firm in your faith. But I want to show you this as well. I, I, I think it's important. We need to fight with joy as well. Because God cares about your emotions. Remember, so much of, of your life is kind of like dictated by your emotions. And when our emotion is, is wrong, then, then we're, we're fighting all that much harder and we're that much more tempted to give up and to give in. So God does care about your emotions. It's not all about duty. God also wants delight, right? Philippians uh, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Like God wants you to have joy. By the way, look in your, uh, I've got it up on the screen, or you can look in your Bible. Uh, we're, we're doing 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Verse 7, we're actually commanded to be casting all your anxieties on him, that's God, because he cares for you. And this is right before this whole like, hey, you're going to suffer for Christ's sake because Satan is going to attack you. God doesn't hate you. He cares for you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to have deep joy even when life is throwing misery at you, even when Satan is trying to rob you of joy. And so we fight with joy. I, I again just look at verse 10 and 11. Tell me that this is not supposed to inspire joy in, in the person's heart who's being afflicted by Satan. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God who graciously gives freely, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. You see how that's tied in there? Like resist him firm in your faith. Yes, believe the truths about God, about Jesus and all he is for you over and above Satan. But you also fight with joy. <laughs> I've got a God of all grace. I'm suffering for a little while, but I've got this God of all grace. He's called me to his eternal glory in Christ. And he is actually going to use this trial to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. What Satan intends for evil, God is going to use for good. I don't have a PowerPoint on this one, but if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. This is the, the thorn in the flesh. Say, uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It begins saying this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So God had given him revelations and he thought well, that could make me puffed up. That God would reveal such things to me. He says this, because of that, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You can already see God working there. Satan is meaning to harass him, to keep him from what he's supposed to be doing. But God is using this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, to keep him from becoming conceited. Pride comes before the fall. Humble yourselves, therefore, before mighty God. You, you have this, and he's actually being made more godly through the trial. But here we go. Uh, what, what am I on? Eight, verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Does that sound like suffering to you? I pleaded. That's, that's not just I prayed. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What, what God's saying is, Paul, you can keep on resisting Satan. You can stay in the fight even with this thorn, because my power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. This is a beautiful thing. What Satan is trying to use for evil, God is actually empowering Paul through. But look at what he says, um, kind of the middle of, of verse 9. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly. That's that joy. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Satan attacking you does not mean your life will be miserable. You may have miserable circumstances. You may have difficult, painful, right? That was number two. Expect the fight to be hard. It will be hard, but you have to also expect deep joy in it. Some of you don't want to be in this fight because you say, I don't want that. I promise you, you do. I think about what Jesus said. I may have this in my notes. I'm not sure. Nope. There we go. What, what Jesus said, I'll, I'll kind of finish with this. John 15, 10, 11. Every other sermon I put these verses in because they're some of my favorites. They keep me on track because I'm supposed to fight for faith and enjoy to continue serving God. Jesus said this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So keep my commandments. Keep in the fight. Go, therefore, make disciples. Uh, obey these commands. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When you are in the suffering, you need to know that the reward is far greater than the problem. <laughs> the reward is far more, more, more pure and, and wonderful than, than any persecution or pain you may suffer because of your obedience to Christ. Uh, I wish I could remember all these verses I've, that I have floating in my head right now, <laughs> what the references are. I bet Alan would know it. So you'll, you'll be blessed in your doing, First Peter, if you should suffer for a little while. Anyway, it's all good. We should just turn this into a Bible study. We can dialogue. Friends, what, I, what I'm trying to convey to you is this. Satan attacking does not have me scared or sad or mad. It has me excited because it is a good thing. It means we are making progress. It means that we have potential to be used mightily for the glory of God. You say, yeah, but won't it be hard? Yes, it will, but it will be amazing. It will be the most joyful. I, I know I've told you guys this story before, but... When God really grabbed a hold of my heart at the age of 22, I started sharing the gospel. I had so much opportunity because all my friends were unsaved, basically, because I'd been hanging out with, the, you know, the, the unsaved people. And uh, so I was sharing the gospel with all of them, you know. And it was, I mean, I, I can remember very few periods of my life where that, that were that hard. Because these were my lifelong friends that I had grown up with, and I was losing them. One after the other, they, they stopped answering my phone calls, stopped answering my texts. Even the ones that would still answer and say, yeah, you can come over and hang out. We're doing this. I could tell that it was awkward and like they just, you know, were, were just letting me be there. But I'm like, okay, I'm here, so I'm going to share the gospel again. I'm going to like get into these conversations. And like, you know, and I was the butt of many jokes, you know, like that was not okay for my little heart. I was very fragile. I, I wanted them to like me. I wanted my friends to stick with me. And I remember it just being so painful. And oh, in addition to that, I was still an idiot and I still am. But I, 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 so many times I would still mess up and sin in front of these guys. And so many times I would say the wrong thing and I'd do such a bad job sharing the gospel. And I'd be driving home saying, God, how, I, I don't know how much more of this I can take. But I'll tell you, it was the most awesome time of my life. The depth, I hope you can feel that with me, the depth of joy that I had in knowing that I was God's. He had called me into his eternal glory, the eternal glory of Christ, that he had called me to be his ambassador and that I was walking in obedience and he was empowering that and he was going to sustain me through it. Like all those things it was a deep joy. Jesus, by the way, said, you know, in, in that verse, um, that my joy may be in you. 
and your joy may be full. This isn't man-made joy. This isn't cheap. This isn't trivial joy that Jesus will get you when you get in the fight and you stay in the fight by God's power, resisting firm in our faith and finding our joy in God. I have so much more to say, but I think we probably got to stop there. Stay in the fight, friends. It's a good thing that Satan's attacking us. Stay in the fight. Resist him. Be sober-minded. Don't let your emotions uh, detract you. Push against Satan. Be ready for the fight to come and expect it to hurt so that you can endure when it comes. And then fight with faith and joy. Faith in Christ Jesus and joy from Christ Jesus. That is what we need. Let's pray. Father God, again, I thank you that you have, by your power, by your grace, made us the type of church that is a threat to Satan. I thank you that you've made us aware of these attacks. They may sound silly to some people, but for those of us who are going through it, it is very real, very tangible, very difficult. And so we thank you because, God, you've now helped us today to know what to do, that we resist Satan. We keep on pushing for your glory, the good of others, namely in Christ Jesus, and our deep joy in you, God. We do not back down. We don't go back to the status quo. God, I pray that you would help us to resist firm in our faith. God, your promises are so beautiful. I I think of the psalmist just saying how beautiful the law of the Lord is, how beautiful your promises are. And I, I feel that right now because your promises are our life right now. They are our our endurance, our perseverance. Through your promises, you are our fortress. God, help us to be firm in our faith, to put more of your word into our minds and into our hearts, to pray to you for strength, to cast our anxieties on you. And I do that even now, Lord. I, I, I want us together, Lord, to cast our anxieties on you, the financial struggle of this church, the different physical and financial and relational issues of individuals in this church, and even the the longtime members that left, Lord, we cast all that pain, all that fear, all that anxiety, all that hurt on you, trusting that you care for us, that you'll bring peace that surpasses understanding, and that you will help us to persevere. Oh God, we want this and we ask that you would do this again based on the victory of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.